My name is Philip. Um, I grew up in this church, in this youth group, coming to this camp. And so um, I'm Matt's brother. He's been the one speaking at night. And um, I'll just introduce myself. Like I said, I grew up in this church. Um, right now I'm in Lubbock, Texas, unfortunately. Won't be there too much longer, hopefully. Just kidding. Lubbock's a cool place. It's just really flat and dry, and there's not a lot to do. But um, my wife's in the back. Her name is Sarah. She is in her last year of the master's program for speech pathology. So I'm definitely the reacher in the relationship. If you don't know what that means, in every relationship there's a reacher, one that's like grabbing up. My wife is way hotter than me and way smarter than me. I'm reaching to get that. So I'm the reacher in the relationship. That's okay. I like it. Um, let's see. So I just wanted to share a few of my stories from camp since I grew up and it's so personal to me. Um, I want to start with WrestleMania. Do y'all know where WrestleMania started? What? Anyone? WrestleMania started back at, was it Camp Hawkins? Was that the name of that camp? Brookhaven, right? Something like that. Something Haven, Brookhaven, something like that. It started on a wood floor, no mattresses, no nothing. There was just this, uh, we were free time. Guys and girls ended up in this lobby. Guys were slamming guys onto the wood floor. Guys were slamming girls onto the wood floor. It was a bad deal. That's where the rules of WrestleMania have come in. Um, people like my dad had to step in and intervene on that before anyone got killed. Um, I have a funny story from WrestleMania. My senior year in high school, we were doing WrestleMania, and I don't remember who I was wrestling. I do remember Colin um, dancing around in something. He was refing the match. I think he had no shirt on. Um, his, shirt, his shorts pulled up really high, and he was refing, something like that. Anyway, I was wrestling somebody, and I either got thrown into the wall or threw somebody into the wall, and there ended up being this massive hole right in the middle of the drywall. So there's this big hole in the middle of the wall. There's, like, no adults in there. We're like, crap. Like, what do we do? Um, there's a random clock sitting right here. So we literally take this clock, and, like, the hole's, like, right here. Put the clock. Boom. Uh-oh. Put the clock right there. So there's this random clock in the middle of the wall that's just there. And so um, it stayed there the whole camp. And I don't think anyone asked about it. It was just a random clock. It was just covering our hole. So that's my WrestleMania story. We've got one more story for camp. My very first year in camp. Who's this is their first year at camp? Very first time? All right. Um, my lovely brother, who loves to take care of me, and wants to make sure that I, I was comfortable in the youth group. So let me, let me detail this for you. We had this long row of plastic tables that we had stretched out, and we'd stuck a mattress underneath one of them, so it was like a ramp. So you would take our, then we'd take the mattresses off our bed, and we'd get a running start, jump on the tables, and slide, and hit the ramp, and go flying. So it was a lot of fun. The mattress is already laying on the table. You get a running start, and you jump on the mattress, right? So I get this running start. I'm seventh grade, I'm like, this is awesome, I'm so cool, everyone's loving it, I'm going so far. And I get running and I jump, and right as I jump, my brother takes his foot and goes, boop, and just kicks the mattress off the table, and I go, bam, and <laughs> just slide in front of everyone, in front of all the people, everyone laughed, it was traumatizing, I still deal with it today, just kidding. <laughs> Um, those are my camp stories. Um, in all honesty, I love this camp, guys. It's done a lot for me in my spiritual walk. Um, just the talks that, are, that we have in here are incredible. We get to have a good one this morning and a hard one. Uh, before we get on, going on that, I'm going to pray, 
If y'all pray for me as I pray for you guys, um, I'd appreciate it. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this camp. I thank you for the staff here um, that have willingly served us. I thank you for all the college students that have taken time out of their summers to come and minister and help, Father. I thank you for um, all the adults that have taken time off of work to come and, and just serve everybody here. And I thank you for all the students here this morning, Lord. And God, I just ask for your spirit to fall upon this place this morning. God, to bring a spirit of understanding, to bring a spirit of conviction, Father. Um, and that your loving mercy would just be shown in this place, God. God, that you would be shown um, in as much glory as we can handle. Um, and that you would just move in our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would calm my nerves, that I could speak your truth. Um, and again, that you would just move in this place. Amen. All right. So does anybody remember what we'll be talking about this morning? Anyone tell me? In the back, Mason? Let's say it a little louder. Bravery to confess sin and walk in the lie. Everyone is super pumped, right? <laughs> we all excited? All right. Um, I want to speak on that, guys. Um, if you're sitting in your seat and you have some feelings of uneasiness coming up, like, oh, crap, we're talking about confessing sin. I hate this talk. We always talk about it once every summer camp. Everyone cries. It's miserable. If you have those feelings coming up, welcome them, guys. Um, conviction is a gift from God. Um, if you're not receiving conviction, then you're not seeking after the Lord. Um, so those feelings that are creeping up, welcome them. Don't push them down. Don't bear them underneath everything that um, we hide our sin under. Um, let them be there. It's okay. Let them be there for the talk. Um, let the Lord speak to you. Um, let the Lord point out the areas in your life that you are not walking with him. Um, guys, without conviction, we're lost. If the Lord doesn't convict us, we're just wandering around in this world aimlessly, and we don't want that. So um, welcome those uh, feelings of conviction. It's a gift of God. Um, like I said, I've been in those, your seats, guys. I've been through the talks, um, the confession talks. They're hard. They bring up the points in our lives that we do, do not like to look at. We bring up the points in our lives that we tend to bury underneath who knows what. And so um, I encourage you this morning, try your hardest to let those feelings of conviction just sit there um, and see what God does with that. Um, I just want to read real quick. You can write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, so who here is a Christian, and who remembers the day that they accepted the Lord? Anybody? Who here was perfect on that day? Nobody. All right. That's what I like to see. So... This verse is saying that we are to be more like Christ, and because Christ died for us, we will no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. That's going to be a process, guys. Yes. Uh, yes, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Okay? So um, we're not living for ourselves. We're living for Christ. Thus, the conviction. God has to point out the areas of our lives that are not of him, and we have to cut them off. We have to get rid of them and be put, make ourselves more like Christ to glorify Christ. So that's just kind of a prelude. Um, 
before I get into it, to welcome those uh, feelings of conviction. Don't push them down. Don't bury them. Um, real quick, also, before we get started, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the healing that we received from our confession today, um, but I do want to note that it is important, and we do receive healing from our confession. When we confess our sins, God heals us of the areas that we've been holding back from him, and he lets us walk with him, and we experience him in a better way. Uh, James 5:16. if you want to write that down, says, very plainly, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, anyone? Healed. Yeah. So as we confess our sin, God will heal us of the areas that we've been keeping back from him, that we've been trying to do on our own. How many times have you tried to do something on your own without God's help? You've been walking and then bam, you get slammed, you get hurt, something happens, something bad happens. God wants to heal you of that. It might not be instant, but it'll take time. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking on healing because I feel like most sermons around confession kind of center on that, and I think we've all heard that, we know that, um, but I did want to point it out, it is valid, it is truth, and it is important. Um, okay, so what approach am I going to take then? This is the different approach I'd like to take on confessing sin this morning. Um, I think that our culture and the, the church sometimes has done us an injustice, especially in America, in showing God as a supplement to our lives. So we go about our days, we go to school, we go to work, and then we go to church on Wednesday night. We go to school, we go to work, whatever, we go to church on Sunday mornings. That's where we get God. Everything else, we're just kind of going through the motions, doing it on our own. Um, that is not true. God is not a supplement to our lives. This word of God cannot be a supplement to what you are doing. So it's not uh, what Matt, okay, I'm Matt, and I'm just walking around the day, and then, oh, man, I just had a rough moment. I guess I'll turn to God now. Or I'm in a tough spot. God, can you help me now? It's not how it works. God is not a supplement. God is all-encompassing, and God is completely holy. Um, and, and I think that because we maybe have subconsciously adopted this idea that God is a supplement, I don't think any of us would just say that. I think that we all kind of know like that God is supposed to be, but I don't think God is like that for all of us. I know he's not for me. I know every single day, multiple times a day, I'm doing things on my own without God's help, just saying, I got this, God, leave me alone. I'll come talk to you when I'm ready. You know, like how often do we do that? We, we don't say it, but we do it, right? So um, I think because we do that, we do not have a greater, we don't have a full understanding of who God is, and we don't have a full understanding of who we are in comparison to God, and we don't have a full understanding of God's grace. Um, so take out a pen. This is the main point. Write it down. Um, this is what I'm getting at. If we have a greater understanding of who God is and a greater understanding of who we are in relation to God, confession and repentance will be a natural response. Say it again. If we have a greater understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to God, confession and repentance will be a natural response. Does everybody have it? Can you say it again? Okay. If we have a greater understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to God, Confession and repentance will be a natural response. All right, I'm going to talk about three things. I don't know how long we'll go. We'll see. Um, 
first thing we're going to talk about is God and his character. Not every aspect of his character, but one I want to talk about in particular today. Um, then we're going to talk about who we are in relation to God. And then we're going to talk about how confession flows out of that. Pretty simple, huh? Goes along with the main point. I know how to write an outline. All right. Um, God's character. Who is God? Start, throw some answers out to me. Who is God? Jesus. Jesus, yes. Come on, guys. Who's God? Love, yeah. He's our Father. The Holy Spirit. What else? There we go, yeah. Okay, everyone turn your Bibles to Exodus 32. Yeah, we're going Old Testament. Okay, before I read this passage, I want to give you a little backstory of what's going on right now. Exodus 32. Moses has just led the Israelites out of Egypt, taking them through the ten plagues, taking them through the Red Sea, the chariots of the pillars of fire, all that glorious stuff. I mean, we're talking incredible things. God showing his glory in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, he turned the Red Sea, he turned the sea into blood. I mean, that's pretty epic, I think. Um, he killed the firstborn of all that didn't put the blood on top of their, um, on top of their doorpost, the Passover. Everyone know what that is? Is that not terrifying? If you saw that God was capable of that, would you not think you might should follow him? Okay? So uh, Moses is leading him out. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. He's been there for a while. If you were talking with God, you'd probably be there for a while too, right? So they've been there for a while. The people down below, the Israelites, are being people saying, Oh, Moses just left us out here to die. God's not even real. This sucks. I want to go home. We should have just stayed in Egypt. They just brought us out here to die in the desert. So the Israelites who just witnessed everything that God had just done in Egypt, all of the incredible things that God accomplished in Egypt to pull them out of the slavery they had been in for 430 years, they had been in slavery in Egypt. 430 years they had been there. God brings them out. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, which is pretty cool. And then the people down below are just like, oh, all right, let's find, we got to figure something else out. This isn't working. Let's make our own God. So Aaron says, okay, give me all of your gold, your earrings, everything that you have on you. I'm going to throw it in the fire, and oh my gosh, a calf came out. We must worship it. So they're over here worshiping this calf. Okay, that's where we're going to pick up. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 7. This is the Lord talking to Moses. The Lord capitalized means epic, okay? And, this is the, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I might consume them and or that I might make a great nation out of you. Wow. Sucks for the Israelites, right? Uh, lucky for them, they had Moses battling on their behalf. Um, not that God changes his mind. That's a whole other sermon. But um, God doesn't send his wrath upon them um, in, full, in the fullness that he had said he would. But the point I want to make out of this passage right here is that God is perfect. And God hates 
sin, right? Um, and we can't fully understand this, but, but I want to look at that last verse that I just read. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation. His wrath to burn hot against them. Um, this is how God feels about sin. Um, and so, uh, let's see. Sorry. Okay, so this is kind of what I'm walking through right now in my faith. It's trying to get a greater understanding of who God is. I've gone my whole life, really, with kind of supplementing God when I need him. Um, I'll go through um, seasons in my life where God is great. I'm with God. I'll go through seasons in my life where I'm doing it on my own. I'm going to get my own Chick-fil-A. I'm going to do it myself. God, if you tell me to do something else, we'll see about that. But I'm getting to this point in my life where I'm seeing how big God is. So up until now, I think my view of God is, I don't remember, it might have been Matt Chandler who said this in his book, Explicit Gospel, but our greatest view of God is a greatest version of ourself. That's, that's what our minds can comprehend, like a perfect person, right? So I'd say that's like right here, right? Perfect person, 100-point scale. Okay, God is above that. So I want you all to close your eyes. And I want you to try and just visualize God. I want you to visualize his perfectness, his holiness, I want you to visualize how God hates sin and his wrath burns hot against it. Okay, open your eyes. Y'all have something in your head going? God is immeasurably better than what you just imagined. Immeasurably better than what you just imagined. Immeasurably more perfect than what you just imagined. Right? We're not capable of understanding the holiness of God, but he is that holy, and we need to understand that. Um, okay. So we have kind of a, at least a basic idea of who God is. God's perfect, right? God is all-encompassing. God is awesome. Okay? Um, let's talk about us, right? Who are we in comparison to God? Okay, we're going to turn to Psalms 51, staying in the Old Testament. Y'all tracking with me so far? Okay. Give you a little background into what we're going to talk about with Psalms 51. It's a great psalm. Um, this is King David, man after God's own uh, man after God's own heart. Did I say that right? Yeah. Um, king David has everything a man could want. He has a kingdom. He's doing awesome. He's wrecking people in battle. Um, he's got this massive mansion one day because when you have that big of a mansion, you can take a stroll on top of your mansion. So David's taking a stroll on top of his mansion. Just picture um, Jerusalem and David's kingdom towering above everything else, right? So David's just uh, taking a stroll, checking out his kingdom. Wow, God, you're awesome. This is what you've given to me. Out of the corner of his eye, David sees a woman bathing. So his name is Bathsheba. Which I always think is funny that she was bathing and her name is Bathsheba. I don't know if there's a connection there or not. But um, so she's bathing. Um, David sees this. He's like, I'm the king. I can have whatever I want. So he calls for Bathsheba. Long story short, try to keep it PG. Bathsheba ends up pregnant. And um, 
Sorry, I don't, I don't know a way to, to make, I don't know. Anyway, Bathsheba ends up pregnant, and um, David's like, David goes, oh, crap, right? What did I do? Like, I'm the king, and I've just gotten, into my, gotten myself into a situation that I don't know how to fix. And so what does David do? He goes to God, he confesses, no, he doesn't do that, right? Um, David calls out to the men that are out fighting the war. And uh, Bathsheba's husband's name is Uriah. Now, Uriah is not just your average warrior. Uriah is like a Navy SEAL. He's the guy that's going in the front lines, executing, assassinating, taking out all the big bad dudes. So Uriah is a sweet, awesome dude. His wife's Bathsheba. What does David do? Does he send for Uriah, tell him to come back and say, dude, I messed up. Like, we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with this. I, don't, I wouldn't want to have that conversation. But anyway, no, he, he calls to his generals or whatever the leadership is called in the Israelite army and says, okay, I need you guys to send Uriah on a special mission to the front lines, and then when you all all get there, I want you guys to retreat and leave Uriah there by himself so he can be killed in battle. So this is David's master plan. I'll just kill his husband, but I'll do it in a way that's not obvious. And then we'll just hope and pray that people can't do math. I'll marry his wife, and then we'll have the baby, right? Okay, seems like a good idea. So Uriah dies in battle. Uh, David marries Bathsheba. Everything's going to plan. David's like, all right. Like, I got away with this. It's going to work out. And then all of a sudden... A man named Nathan, who I think has to be one of the boldest men in the Bible, knocks on David's door and says, David, I know what happened. The Lord spoke to me, and I know what happened. Quit your crap, man. Like, this isn't going to work. You can't just hide something like this and, and be the king. You can't be, you can't be a man after God's own heart. That's hard to say. And, and do this. Have you all ever been in a situation like that? I have. Um, I'll give you a little brief, brief uh, snidbit about my, um, actually, I'll give you one story first. When I was a young kid, we had these bushes that went alongside our house. And um, God, when you're young, you're just so stupid. And so me and my friend, Brent, were by the bushes. And we were learning cuss words because we were, we were young and dumb. We were like seven, eight years old. And We'd heard a cuss word, and we thought it was so cool. So we just wanted to go around saying cuss words all the time. So we go into the side, this, like, little gap between our, the bushes in my house, and we were talking bad. Like, we were talking like sailors. Like, they didn't even make sense. It was just like, beep, 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 dude, beep, 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 dude. You know, like, we were just cussing to cuss. And so little did I know, my mom is, like, in her bathroom, which is separated from us in a window. Like, that's all that's separating me and my mom's ears. So, uh, long story short, caught red-handed. I think she said, what did you, what were y'all saying out there? And I think I said, Mom, I was just repeating what somebody else said. Next thing I know, I had a bar of soap in my mouth. Um, that's a little bit of a less serious one. Um, a little bit more serious. In high school, I, um, I got really into drugs, alcohol, the whole, that whole scene. I, I, I really into it. Really enjoyed it. Um, it was really bad, and it ended really badly. So um, I got stuck in it, though. And one morning, and 
Many of you might know this, but if you're ever doing something wrong and you're texting about it on your phone, that phone does not leave your side, am I right? Nobody's answering, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, so I'd had text messages about drugs and all kinds of stuff in my phone. That phone always stayed in my pocket. It did not leave my side. If it wasn't in my pocket, it was in my hand. If it wasn't in my hand, it better be broken. So um, I always had my phone on me. One morning, I, I, I goofed up, guys. I didn't have my phone on me. I went and took a shower, and I left my phone in my bedroom. And um, I walked out of my bedroom, and my mom was sitting on my bed crying. I was like, oh, caught red-handed, like busted. And um, God told my mom to go check, to read my phone. The one time I didn't have my phone on me, God told my mom, you need to go look at phone, Philip's phone right now. Um, that, I look back to that as God intervening in my life. In the time, I imagine it's kind of what David felt like, maybe not quite as bad as David felt like, when Nathan knocks on the door and says, David, what are you doing? David, you killed a man, right? It wasn't Philip, you're smoking weed. It was David, you killed a man, and you got his wife pregnant out of wedlock, and you tried to hide it. Can you all imagine how much boldness that had to take for Nathan to do that? For the, to the king of Israel, how much boldness that had to take? So all that to say, I think Nathan's a pretty cool guy. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up. This is David's response to the Lord after Nathan has confronted him with this sin. Psalms 51, we're going to start in verse 1. Have mercy, o, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my trans... Ooh, sorry. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in the words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is David, guys. A man after God's own heart. This is the same David that Tim was talking about yesterday that's cutting heads off of bears and lions, right? This is a good man. So I want to focus real quick on um, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What does that mean? Does that mean that having kids is a sin? No. What's up? So we're, we're born into it. Like, we are born into sin because of Adam and Eve and the sin that entered into the world. We are born into sin. We cannot avoid it. The only, the only man that was able to walk the earth without sin was? Good job. So, um, who, so who are we, right? Who are we? We are sinful. We are broken people. If David, a man after God's own heart, as the Lord refers to him, did what he did, right? Who, then who are we? We are broken. Um, but there's hope. There is hope, right? Because um, if not, then we are in trouble, right? So going back to my little uh, graph that I do with my hands, um, God, where I've pictured him before, where I'm trying to picture him now, okay? Me, where I pictured myself before, I, I thought I was a pretty good guy, you know? Pretty good guy. I can kind of handle this on my own. I can, um, I can will myself into doing what is right. Um, 
like, Philip, you don't really need to do that anymore. That's really not the right thing. So you just need to throw it away, you know, something like that. So will myself into doing what is right. So I thought that's probably like right here. So God's right, right here. I'm right here. But in reality, God is like way at the ceiling and I'm like down on the floor. Like that is the reality of our relationship with God without Jesus, right? We're all damned without Jesus. Um, so I kind of spoiled it, but y'all knew the answer anyway. Um, so, so what now? So now what? If we're, if God's up here and we're down here, what now? Everybody? Jesus. All right. Okay. So I want to try and illustrate this the best way I can. So we have Jesus, um, has anybody seen The Passion of the Christ? Yeah. Pretty hard to watch, right? Um, Jesus being whipped. Jesus being whipped with glass at that. Um, Jesus being beaten, drugged through the streets, having to try and carry a cross up a mountain after he's been beaten. Can't do it. He has to, somebody help him, right? So he's been beat to a pulp. To the point where he's about to die, but they let him hang on so they don't kill him. They don't want to kill him yet, right? Um, they put nails through his wrists, nails through his feet, hang him up on the cross. Can you imagine how painful that would be? Can you imagine how painful dying on a cross would be, much less the beating that he took before it, right? None of that compared. None of the beating compared to the pain that Jesus felt when he says this. Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened right there, guys? In that moment, what happened right there? Yeah. Yeah. That wrath that we talked about earlier, Exodus 32, the white, hot wrath, the hate that God has for sin, on the cross, on to Jesus. The pain that Jesus endured and the beating that he took was nothing into comparison of God leaving him in that moment, of, of Jesus taking the sin of the world upon him, right? Can we get a little bit greater image of the grace that God has for us in that? God loves his son. God loves his son. First, or not first Colossians, there's only one Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image, this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's how God feels about Jesus. So, you, so God sending his son to die on the cross was a big deal. And if we don't understand that, then we have nothing. If we don't understand how big of a deal that is, how perfect God is, and how lowly we were, and the fact that God sent his son to die for us, then we have nothing, right? Um, my dad made us memorize one verse growing up, only one, Ephesians 2, 8. Oh, well, of course you memorized John three sixteen, but that one doesn't count. It does count. It is a good verse. But he made us memorize <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8. Um, can you, does anybody know what that verse says? Off the top of their head? You should. It's a good verse. Hannah? 
I think Dad has a new verse now. She might not know this one yet. That's Romans. All right. What's up? Yeah, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself, but a gift from God so that no man can boast, right? Ephesians 2.8. Guys, this is the reality of it. There is nothing that you can do to earn your way into favor with God. Absolutely nothing. You can try as hard as you want. You can do whatever you want to do. But there's there's no way you can earn your way into God. He is way too great and we are way too lowly. Right? His wrath is white hot against sin. Guys, when somebody sins, somebody has to die. In Exodus, I believe like a thousand people ended up dying that day. I don't know the exact number. I kind of skimmed the end of it. But um, Moses goes down off the uh, mountain. He calls the Levites. Says, what happened here? Uh, I don't know, Moses. We got bored. Is that an excuse? No. It's an excuse to say, I got bored. That's why I started looking at pornography. No. Or I got bored. That's why I'm addicted to video games and I can't pick up my Bible because I'm bored. Is that an excuse? No. Because God is way too great. And somebody had to die that day. A thousand people died, or something. I, I need, how many? Three thousand people died that day by the sword. Right? When somebody sins, somebody has to die. Praise God for Jesus, right? Praise God for his grace. Praise God that the same God that has white hot wrath against sin loves us dearly. Right? It's a concept that we'll never fully understand until we get to heaven. And, and, and I know I've been in the Old Testament, guys, but the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So that's the same God. Just because we're in the New Testament doesn't mean God's a fairy, right? No. God is incredible, and God's wrath is more than we can bear. Jesus bared it for us. Okay? Okay? Um, so I think we have maybe somewhat of an understanding of what I'm trying to get at, right? So if, if we can focus on that, on how great God is and, and Jesus and the grace that he really had for us in dying on the cross and what that really meant and the fact that Jesus truly took the sin of the world, truly took God in his full wrath on the cross, um, my argument is that should motivate us to confess our sins. That should motivate us to confess our sins. Um, So I want to go back to Psalms 51 real quick, and I want to look at verse 4. David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we sin, we sin against God. When we sin, we hurt other people, right? When we sin, we sin against God. But when we sin, we can also hurt other people. What I'm trying to say with that is, why are you confessing your sin sometimes, guys? Is it because you got caught? Is it because you got caught and you're trying to avoid the consequences, so you're going to confess? Is it 
Um, and there's a list of reasons as why we confess our sin, but are we really confessing our sin because we sinned against God? Because if you're not confessing it for that, you might as well not confess it, right? I'm not saying that there's not consequences, and I'm not saying that you're not going to have to go and mend bridges from your sin and, and deal with the consequences that you've created by, by your sin. But if you're not confessing it to confess it to God, the creator of the universe, who created and who is holy and perfect and sent his son to die for us, you might as well not confess it, right? That's why we confess our sin. So why have you confessed in the past? And it, it might have been this, and that's awesome, and, and I want to encourage that if, that if that's what you're confessing. But um, I know looking back at my life, a lot of times it was to check off a box, right? Um, it's that talk during camp, the chair sitting in the middle of the room, time to confess. It's that time in our lives. And, and I never had the understanding of why I was confessing my sin. I knew I felt better after it. Right? I knew I felt, you know, like, oh, finally get that off my chest. Don't have to deal with that anymore. But so many times after I confessed my sin, I got it after, after, off my chest. I came back from summer camp a week later, right back in it. Right? How many of y'all have walked through something like that? You're struggling with a sin, and, and you just can't shake it. You just can't give it up. What are you giving it up for? Are you giving it up to be a better person? I have news for you. If you're not going to follow Jesus, and if you're not going to claim Jesus on that day when you get to heaven, and you're going to try and go on your own merits, it's going to end badly for you. If you get to heaven and say, God, I, I did a pretty good job. I watched porn when I was in 7th and 8th grade, but I, I, I stopped. I willed myself into it. And God said, yeah, but you watched porn in the 7th and 8th grade. Right? Or you lied when you were a 5th grader. Or you were born, right? We were born into this sin. We can't avoid it. Do you have to teach a baby how to lie? It just happens, right? We don't teach our children to do bad things. Sometimes. It's an uncle, you might <laughs> teach something here or there. But not really that bad, right? But, but, but really, like, think about that. Did someone tell you, like, when you're a kid, like, hey, like, if you want to get out of this, just say this, and then you can just avoid it. No, we just do it, right? You're caught red-handed. I, I was listening. I thought this was so funny. I listened to a lot of Matt Chandler's sermons, and he was talking about his son. His son's name is Reed. And uh, he said that it was just him and Reed in the house, and that uh, they had a package sitting at the front door with a bunch of... Uh, little pop, the popcorn package stuff, whatever you call that. Popcorn, we'll call it popcorn. Uh, had a bunch of popcorn in the uh, box. So Matt Chandler goes into the kitchen to make him and his son a sandwich. He walks back out and said, and he said there's, that popcorn is strewn over the whole living room. He goes, Reed, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? We have to clean it up now. And Reed goes, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. <laughs> Matt goes, Reed, you're the only one here. It's me and you. Who could have done it? I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And Matt goes, Reed, then who did it? I think their daughter's name is Savannah. He goes, Savannah must have done it. <laughs> like that, that's the reality, guys. Like As kids, we, we just do it. That is who we are. 
I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, checking boxes off, right? So are you confessing to try and just check this box off? Um, sometimes I think we confess the sin because we want to get rid of it. But it's got to be rooted in our sin against God. Because we have sinned against God, that's what it's got to be rooted in. Um, this is kind of where I wanted to talk about the bravery aspect of confessing sin. Um, a couple questions. Sorry, I think I'm putting my hand in front of the mic. Um, so what's holding you back from confessing your sin? Did I do that? That's smoking. Is that bad? Do I need to turn it off? When somebody sins, a projector dies. Okay. All right, guys. Let me get your attention. Okay, so what's holding your back? What's holding you back, not holding your back? Um, do you trust that God is better than people knowing your crap? Do you trust that God is better than people knowing your crap? And do you trust that God loves you? I mean, you need a grammar lesson? <laughs> I see what you're saying. Your possessive your, like your junk, your sin. <laughs> there you go. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Do you fear that God, or do you fear that God is not better than people knowing your, I said stuff on my outline, but I thought crap would have more effect, so sorry. <laughs> um, and do you trust that God loves you? Do you trust that he truly cares for you? Do you understand that he sent his son that he made everything in the world for? And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. That moment on the cross when God left Jesus is the only moment in eternity that God left Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come. Jesus was there before he was a baby, right? The Trinity was there from beginning. That moment on the cross when God forsake, so whatever, Jesus, um, sorry. <laughs> that, that was the only moment in history, eternity, that they weren't there. Can you imagine the pain that Jesus felt? The pain that Jesus felt in that moment. So do you trust that God loves you? I do. I can, I can look at that moment and trust that God loves me. If he did that for me, I trust that. So be brave, guys. Be confident. Be conf we, know, we talked about yesterday that this word is true. Everything I'm talking about today comes out of this Bible. Be confident that God loves you. Be confident that he cares enough for you that he sent his son to die for you. Let that be the motivation that, makes you, that leads you to confess your sin. So I'm telling you all this, but I mean, in re reality, you're not going to walk out of the door and... God's not just going to automatically 
lead you to your stuff out, right? It's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I want to talk about sanctification a little bit, and I want to talk about um, finding our satisfaction in, in Christ. Um, does anybody know what sanctification means? Okay, sanctification is the process. So, so you're justified, right, when, when you accept Christ, when you believe that Christ is your Lord, which Lord is, is not just saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Even, even the demons believe that Jesus is real, right? So confessing that Jesus is Lord means taking him as, as your Lord. As, you're a servant to him. That means he tells you to t- step left and you step right left. He tells you to step right, you step right. Luckily, we don't have a God that tells us where to go every second of the day. But God does lead us. And when he is your Lord, he is leading you out of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, but that doesn't mean the day that we are justified, sin is no longer an issue in our lives. That's just the reality of it, right? Because the day that you accepted Christ, we said it earlier, you weren't perfect. You were not perfect the day you accepted Christ. So sanctification, it's going to be a process, guys. Tackle the big stuff first, right? Adults in the room, you're not perfect. Ellen's... (laughs) Maybe Ellen. <laughs> You're not perfect, guys. And, and you will never reach a point in your life when you are. You never will. God will continue to sanctify us. And as we get rid of the big issues in our life, the big rocks that are standing in our way before Christ, the pornography, um, anorexia, bulimia, self-image, cutting, Drugs, alcohol. Guys, I know it happens. I've been in the youth group. I know all of this stuff happens. Um, so tackle the big things first and then move on. You don't have to. That, that's, this is the whole point, guys, is this isn't a checklist. Let the Lord convict you. Let him lead you out of sin. Right? Tackle the big things first. The things that God is bringing up in you right now, that when I said we're talking about confession today, that thing that you went, oh, God, I don't want to talk about that. It's probably a good starting point. Um, John Piper has a quote. It's actually kind of a theology, I guess. It's the, but he said, um, the more satisfied we are in Christ the more Christ is glorified in us, right? So the more satisfied we are in Christ, the more Christ is glorified in us. What's that mean? It's what I just preached about, right? Finding our satisfaction in Him, in His holiness, in what His Son did for us, in the Word of God, reading it, will lead to His glorification in us. Which, I think tonight we're talking about um, being, making disciples. That is what Christ, being glorified in us, does. It leads people to him, right? So as we become more satisfied in him, as we seek him out, that leads us into um, confession. And if we are confessing because we have sinned against the glory of God... And we are, we are getting a deeper understanding of that. 
we are being satisfied in Him, we are seeking Him out daily, then repentance can happen. We truly can see that God is much greater than this, and we can turn from it. If you don't, under, if you don't think that God is greater than what you're turning from, you're going to turn right back to it. If you don't have an understanding that God is much greater than pornography, you're going to give it up because you feel guilty, you're going to walk away from it for a week, and you're going to come back to it because you don't understand that God is greater than it. If you don't understand that God is greater than your self-image, then you will turn away from that sin, and you'll come right back to it, like a dog returns to its vomit. That's what Jesus says. God is greater. That is why we confess. That is why we repent. I have one warning. A, a faith without repentance is not faith. If you're walking in your life, and I debated if I wanted to say that, talk about this because it freaked me out when I was in youth group. But after Matt's talk last night, I'm not really afraid anymore. So, if you're walk, if you're here, just because your friends are here, and you have no interest in giving up the cra- the stuff in your life that's holding you from God, you need to question. You need to question if you're a Christian. Right? Saying a prayer does not make you a Christian. Accepting Him as Lord makes you a Christian. And there are implications to that. You can't say the prayer and then go back to your life just the way you were living it. This is serious. Being a Christian is serious and is not going to be fun. It'll be satisfying. It's not always going to be fun. It means you're going to have to give things up that you might have a hard time giving up. If you play video games five, six hours a day, is that glorifying to God? Are you doing anything for the kingdom? Are you being satisfied in Him or are you being satisfied in the video game? I would say that video game is your golden calf, right? It's your idol. What's your golden calf, guys? What, is, what idols have you placed in the way of, of Christ? First uh, John 1.8, and we'll end on this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right? I'm sorry that this talk didn't end on a super bright note, but I don't think that it should. Um, I, I think that we really need to sit today and think about God and think about how we relate to God. We need to think about the things that are holding us back from God. We need to think about if we're truly serious about this or if we're just here to have fun. Because I've seen it. You'll get to college and you'll join a ministry 
hopefully, you'll get involved, and you'll see about half the people that showed up there on the first day will not be there three weeks later. And those were the people that were not serious about it. Those were the people that were not satisfied in Christ. They were satisfied in other things. I'm telling you as a warning now, if you're not serious about it now, it's going to be much harder for you later. If you don't make your mind up about it now, when that person's there with a blunt saying, hey, man, like, there's really nothing wrong with it. God created it, man. Take a puff. If, you're, if you don't have your mind made up, what's holding you back? If you're not satisfied in him, then what is holding you back? Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I think we're going to have something. Church time, maybe. Church time. Um, I thought about maybe trying to get y'all to break up into groups um, and, and confess. But I think I'd rather uh, y'all kind of sit on it today, think about it. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Doesn't mean you have to walk around with your head down all day. God is not a God of guilt or shame. He's a God of conviction. He will convict us. He will sanctify us. He will make us more like his son. So have fun today. But, but take it seriously also. And think about the things that God has brought up in you this morning. And then tonight in your small groups, I encourage you to be serious about it. And I missed one thing that I really wanted to talk about. Um, being serious about this it means you're going to have to make hard decisions, right? It means guys or girls, if you're struggling with pornography and you've tried to kick it five times and you make up your mind that you really want to give it up for Christ and you confess it, I'd encourage you to go confess it to your parents. Hey, mom and dad, like, I'm sick of dealing with this. I'm sick of dishonoring God I'm ready to get I'm ready to get rid of it I need to take the computer away I gotta get get that out of my life God if you spend hours upon hours upon hours on Facebook or Instagram or whatever is around these days delete it I don't have a Facebook account I don't have an Instagram account I don't have a Twitter account I am disconnected from the world it's awesome when I, when I deleted my Facebook account, I've had so much more time to invest in knowing Christ. I'm not telling you that you all have to go delete your Facebook account. I'm saying if that's an idol in your life, get rid of it. If you're serious about it, if you're serious about honoring God and loving God, then be serious about getting rid of the sin in your life. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I just I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for how perfect you are. God, I thank you that you hate sin because I'd be afraid to follow you if you didn't. God, you would not be God if you were not perfect and you would not be God if you were not holy. God, and your love is so perfect. God, I get shivers when I think truly, truly sit down and meditate on what you did for us. God, when I read Exodus and I see how much you truly hate sin and that you put that wrath upon Jesus, the son that you have given everything, 
God, it gives me chills. God, I, I just pray that you would be with us today. God, I pray that even though this was a heavy talk and a hard one to hear maybe, I pray, Lord, that you would still let us fellowship with each other today, have fun, but God, that these things would sink in and motivate us to, to move into action tonight. God, we love you, and we're here to honor you, and we're here to glorify you. God, I pray for those of us who are not finding our satisfaction in you, Lord, myself included. God, show me. Show me your word. Let me find my satisfaction in you. So I so you can be glorified through me, Lord. God, you are good.